Welcome to The House Podcast. We want to encourage you wherever you're at today. Reach out or email us at any time, and we hope you enjoy today's message. My name is Chad, and I'm privileged to serve as a lead pastor here at the house, and maybe I'm a new face to some of you. You're wondering who I am, or maybe you've maybe heard my, my name in, uh, in passing, and uh, I'm actually in my second Sunday back after being away on sabbatical, and uh, it's been a great time away and good to be back. As, as I reconnect with people, I've noticed a few trending questions about my sabbatical. Usually, the, the very first thing people say is they look at me and they go, so, and there's a bit of a dramatic pause, and then they say, what's it like being back to work? And, uh, you know, I think they're expecting that, like, you know, it's, it's, it's been traumatic or something like that, and usually it's followed up with some version of, you know, what did you do and what did you learn on your time off, your time away, which is, um, you know, a, a few things I wanted to take an opportunity just to kind of share a few of my thoughts surrounding those questions and just as a, a point of connection and re-entry with you in our community. What's it like being back to work, getting, getting back to work? And, you know, um, I, I didn't know what to expect. So I felt a little bit anxious in December. I knew that my, my time away was coming to an end and in January I'd be starting again. So I felt a little bit of that kind of anxiousness, wondering about it, worrying about it. And my first day back in the office felt like it had been forever ago that I was here, but also almost like it had only been a day. And so it was like a whole mixture of emotions and all those things all at once. And um, overall though, it has been a tremendously positive experience coming back and getting reacquainted with the team and, and the, the rhythms and getting updates on our church and our community. So proud of our team for how they led in my absence and our church continuing forward and lots of new ground. It's a little bit humbling coming back because you realize like they didn't need me after all. Like I'm, I guess I'm not really that important as uh, I'm not as important as I thought I was. And, uh, but it's cer- certainly great to see our team continue forward. And, uh, and I have uh, come back with lots of vision and ideas and energy for our future. I'm convinced more than ever before that God is continuing the good work in us. And we know that scripture where the Lord is faithful to continue the work he began in us. And uh, I think that that's very applicable to as a church community that the Lord is faithful to continue forward. And our churches, you know, we're, we're not that old. We were started officially in 2016, and we have three services on a Sunday and reaching lots of people and lots of ministries throughout the week. And we've had miracles and things all along the way just for us to be here and to get here. The Lord has been so faithful. But I'm convinced more than ever that our best days for our community, for our church, are ahead. The best days for the kingdom of God in the Okanagan Valley are ahead. It's not just to lament on days gone by or to think about how good things used to be or anything like that. The church is alive. The kingdom of God is working, moving forward. And we're a part of that story. And I'm convinced more than ever before that the Lord is stirring and doing a new thing, new wineskins, and a new season for us. So what did I do on my sabbatical? One of the things I was able to do is I was able to do quite a bit of travel. 
I have visited my, my dad, my siblings a number of times. I saw my dad three times. They're scattered across three different provinces and was able to uh, reconnect with them, especially enjoyed time with my dad because he's getting up in his years. Uh, Angela and I took a few trips. We went to Ireland in the fall, and um, a month after that, we went to Mexico. And uh, I know you're thinking, like, I can't believe my pastor is going to, like, Mexico and Ireland, and, you know, you're stuck here. And uh, can I just say, Ireland's awesome. And uh, the pubs and the whole culture there, it was really, really cool. And, uh, and I know you're here stuck, in, and I was over in Ireland with, uh, with a pint of Guinness and just trying to, you know, become what they are, you know, I had to fit in. And uh, it was just such a cool experience to be there and to broaden my horizons and, and to grow like that, to do some traveling and see different cultures. Uh, I really enjoyed the, um, the time for some spiritual investment. I did a three-day guided uh, prayer retreat and work through some things there. That was, that was great. I took a pastoral leadership course, was able to get some reading, was able to visit some other churches and other pastors and just kind of rekindle and reinvest in some spiritual growth. Um, I really enjoyed the extra time at home, being more present with my family. Uh, I, was a, I was a really good Mr. Mum. I actually did a lot of the grocery shopping, cooked a lot of the meals, kind of ran the household, and, uh, you know, of course, Ange did a lot there. But, but it was just so nice to be present, to be home, and to be able to give more to my family than normally I would be able to. Um, I got to get some projects and things done. The first couple of weeks of your sabbatical, all you do is like reorganize everything and declutter, and then you kind of settle down a little bit. Uh, it was really great to do things that I don't normally have the opportunity to. My youngest daughter, Ava, is in rugby. She plays uh, on a number of rugby teams at a provincial level, and the fall is very busy, out-of-town tournaments, lots of games. I was able to go to all of them, and what a gift that was, because I, I have not been able to go away to stay in a hotel and be together with my kids and my family in those times, because, you know, pastoring and responsibilities are heavy on the weekend, and so it was really great to just go and be a dad at a rugby tournament and cut up oranges and set up tables and just be present and to participate in things that way. And those are great memories, and those, those, that's a great gift. I think the biggest gift for me was the mental and emotional break away from the pressures of work and from feeling like I was in a rushed schedule. And people say, what do you, what'd you learn on a sabbatical? And perhaps the most profound things I learned were not the new ideas from a book or concepts or leadership skills from a course, but they're things that I relearned to understand and appreciate at a deeper level, at a, at a refreshed level. One of the podcasts I listened to talked about how our culture idolizes productivity. And we tend to focus on becoming better workers than we do on becoming better people. And I thought, boy, there's a lot of profound truth in that. Think of the value of those things and kind of sorting through that and sifting through what that means. And the best way I can describe being on a sabbatical is a chance to reset and recalibrate your priorities, to focus more on that inner person, to just have some margin and focus in on, on some of those important things. Because it's very easy to let our professional work life and our personal life get out of balance. And I think that that's a tension that many of us live in. 
And there are demands and responsibilities and pace and, and it comes at us and we live in that tension and trying to, you know, it's not always fulfilling and we're trying to figure all those things out. I, I relearned that time flies by and your family and loved ones are far more important than anything else you do in your life. I relearned how stress and busyness negatively affects our mental and emotional health. Chronic busyness chips away at our soul. And we don't fully grasp its impact until we step out of the cycle, until we step out of the craziness and gain some fresh perspective. And one of the things I enjoyed most of being on sabbatical was taking a break from the constant decisions that come with a leadership role. Those of you who run your own business or work in a demanding job or have a high capacity job and lots of responsibility will know this tension very well. You know the weight of making crucial decisions or continually coming up with new ideas and continually thinking forward and living in a future mindset. When you're always kind of like, a month or half a year or a year down the road and thinking and how do we put things together and where do we go? And that kind of that ongoing relentless pace that can come with that. In the past couple of years, the pandemic has amplified that with continual pivoting and making hard choices because those responsibilities and those demands that we have in our lives, they've always been there. They were there before the pandemic and then we went through the pandemic and it just amplified. And I remember us thinking through, it wasn't even job stuff all the time, but it was like, um, you know, we, we were impacted in lots of different ways in our family. One computer and how do you set up for kids to take classes and they got to do class online and we got to shift that and we're trying to figure out how do we do things at the church and my wife was laid off from her job and then, you know, had to think through the CERB and all, remember all those government programs and all that. It was like, it's overwhelming all the stuff that keeps coming and the pandemic kind of amplified all those things. Mental health professionals have discovered a high percentage of leaders and frontline workers and, and high capacity leaders at their jobs that um, are showing signs of trauma from the past number of years. And as they work through therapy and encouragement and kind of unpacking some of the stresses and some of the restlessness and some of the like lack of energy and how do I get focus back and how do I move forward, as they begin to unpack all of that stuff, mental health professionals are finding that leaders are being treated with the same way that you would treat somebody with PTSD. And it's like just kind of coming through some of this. And, and you know, I realize that... Um, that for many of you, you don't have the opportunity for an extended break from work. But my sabbatical was, uh, it was a good opportunity to take a break from some of those pressures, to gain some fresh perspective. Isn't it true that you don't always know the full weight or the full intensity of what you're facing until you go through it and you can look back, until you can take a break, until you can kind of step out of it and you realize, like, I can't believe that I was in that, that I did that. Maybe it's a relationship that's on the brink and you're struggling and maybe it's the financial pressure and, and you, you just try to find a way through it, whatever you can do. And then you come out on the other side and you're like, oh, I can't believe that. I can't believe I went through that. And I realize that many of you are not going to have the opportunity for an extended break from work. And so I wanted to have a word of encouragement for you. 
that some of the things that the Lord has shown and stirred in me, and, and one prevailing lesson from my sabbatical is small steps lead to lasting transformation. Small steps have a big impact. Before I left on my break, I had coffee with a few pastors who were curious about what my plan was for my time away. And I told them with great pride that I'd already ordered 10 books from Amazon, and I had picked out three you know, uh, master's classes that I was going to take, and I had a big list of things that I wanted to accomplish. And every pastor that I met with and, and talked about my sabbatical said the same thing. The time will go quick. Enjoy the rest because you won't get this opportunity again or maybe for a very long time. And spend time with your family. One pastor said, I should write everything I want to do and what I want to accomplish and I should put it on a piece of paper and I should rip that in half. Then I should rip it in half again and then I'd be lucky if I even got through that. And I went into my time wondering how I would fill it all up, only to discover that they were right, that time does go by very fast. And sometimes we live in that, like, if I, if I could do this, if I could do that, if I, and we have this, like, I don't start now right here, because I'm always thinking it would be so much nicer if I could have more time and do this. And we kind of live in that, that cycle of sometimes excuses and deflecting responsibility. And it's true, time does go by very fast. I read a handful of books and worked my way through one course, and I didn't accomplish everything that I had expected. But I discovered something along the way, that small changes have a big impact on your holistic health. And by that, I mean it's our mental, emotional, spiritual, physical, relational health, all these different spheres and circles of influence in our lives. That small decisions, small changes can have a big impact. And it's so easy to cheat on those things in the short term because we think we're okay, it's a small thing we can get by. We can put it off, we can delay it, we can figure out a way around it. But over time, those are the things that end up catching up with us. You see, we undervalue the benefit of making small course corrections that have a significant impact on our soul. I'm talking about things that change the trajectory of our life, of where we're going, of who we are, of what Jesus is doing in our soul. It's like that analogy of when they would chart the course to the moon, and if they're off just like a fraction of a millimeter at the beginning, you get up into space thousands of miles away, and you shoot right by the moon because it's way over there because you missed it because it was just this small little heart that you're off in the beginning. And I think that's what happens in our life. That's what happens in our heart. And part of it's because of, it's because of, the, of the busyness and the cycle and the craziness. And we can just cheat on the small little things. We can put it off. It's not important. I'm fine without it. But over time, these are the things that impact us. And paying attention to these little things make a difference. Little changes that hit the reset button on some of the bad patterns and some of the habits that we get into. I've learned to leave my phone at the entranceway table when I get home. I've, I've learned that I don't have to respond to every email or text message the moment it comes in. I've learned the value of turning off my laptop at the end of the day and that Chinese checkers and a card game with some people in the family uh, sounds a lot, it's a, it's a lot more fun than it sounds. 
And, uh, and we actually, we upgraded, our family has upgraded it. We're waiting for it to come on Amazon. The, uh, the, the big uh, exclusive Chinese checker game, the big wooden thing, and you, know, you put it underneath. And it's like the simple little things that we can do. And we reconnect as a family, and we just, when we're busy and in the pace, and that those moments escape, because you're tired. You think, I don't want to do it. Maybe tomorrow. But they're simple moments and simple connection points and they have great value. I didn't go to the gym every day, but I hit the treadmill and uh, I stopped snacking late at night. And you know what? I'm down a few pounds. I, I have some more energy. And it's small steps. And it's following through on small steps and making a shift, changing the trajectory of things in my life, in my heart, that I know are going to have a bigger impact. And I want to be faithful to those things and pay attention to those things. Small steps that change my trajectory. They have an impact on my personal health and my wholeness. Well, we're now two weeks into the new year, which means most of us have failed miserably at our New Year's resolutions. I listened to a podcast that discussed the detrimental effects of making grandiose decisions and resolutions and then not following through and setting ourselves up for failure and instead of the value of just taking small, attainable steps. Did you know that Peloton advertises primarily between 9 p.m. and midnight because they know most of us are at home, on the couch, fried after a long day, and we're halfway through a family-sized bag of Lay's chips, thinking, I got to get in shape. Like, I got to do something. And we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, this exercise bike, the world's greatest exercise, I mean, how could you not want to order that thing? It comes on. Like, I could be ripped and sexy, and I could look like that, and all, it's like, and it's fun, and it's amazing, and like, and, and I'm sitting there, and you know, Peloton comes on, and like, how, how it, it's so easy. Does it not make sense to pick up the phone and order that $3,000 machine right there in the moment? Of course it makes sense in that moment, but it's at 6 a.m. when you, the alarm goes off, and you have to put on your Nikes and go down to the Peloton, and then it's not so good. I didn't order a Peloton, by the way. Um, but there's, there's nothing wrong with committing to run up Knox Mountain every day at 6 a.m. and do your devotions at the gazebo at the top of the mountain. Like, I'm going to pack my 10-pound NIV Bible in my backpack just for extra weight and strength training. And I'm going to hike up, and then I'm going I'm to sit. I'm going to read the Bible, and I'm going to worship the Lord. And, and, and the sun is gonna, just going to rise over the valley and angels will sing, and I will worship the Lord, and I'm going to do that every day for an hour, and then I'm going to, I, my, my day is going to be amazing. And, you know, if, if that's you, that's great. I'm glad that you do that. But most of us are not going to actually be able to see that through. And then we're going to end up feeling bad about ourselves. Psychologists tell us that we're better to make one or two subtle shifts that we'll stick with and try to make out of the blue dramatic big changes. And I know that that might sound a little bit contrary to the way we present Jesus and think about our worldview. Because we're always about the like, wow, and Jesus and God, and, and just like lightning bolts and change and all that. And, 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 and all those things are true. But it's not exclusive to how we 
respond to Jesus and how we encounter who Jesus is. It's not unlike the spiritual principle that Jesus outlines in Luke 16.10, where he says this, if you are faithful in the little things, you will be faithful in the larger ones. Some versions would say entrusted. That if you are faithful in the little things, you can be entrusted with more. What this is saying is this. Jesus values small things. If you hear only one word or one phrase today, it's that Jesus values small things. Small things matter. They have significance. They carry a weight to them. They can change the trajectory of our life, of our soul. Luke 13, 18, 19, Jesus says, then Jesus said, what is the kingdom of God like? How can I illustrate it? It is like a tiny mustard seed that a man planted in a garden. It grows and becomes a tree and the birds make nests in its branches. The kingdom of God comes like a little seed sown into the right soil, cared for, looked after, given time, the kingdom of God begins to grow and flourish and turns into something bigger than itself, grows and multiplies, something much greater. Small decisions have a big impact. They can come into our heart like a seed that can grow and turn into something. They can change our trajectory Our new series is called Shifting Momentum, how small steps can transform the soul. And my encouragement for you is to consider what are some small course corrections? What are some small spiritual seeds you can sow into your heart today that will have a significant impact in your future? I want to look briefly at this small step of simple obedience that we see in Luke 5, the story of the miraculous catch. I want to read it out for context, and then we'll, we'll get close to wrapping up. It says, One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him and listened to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them where, and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat, and taught the crowds from there. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. And this time their nets were so full, the fish they began to tear. And a shout for help brought their partners in. The other boat brought them out and soon Both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. And when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they reached the land, they left everything and followed Jesus. Really cool story. Jesus uh, is doing something here. This is a revelation of who he is. Simon has been a, a fisherman his whole life, and he knew a thing or two about fishing. 
And he knew the prime time to catch fish was in the evening or early in the morning. And that there was no hope of catching fish once the midday sun came up. They're done for the day. They've already been cleaning their nets. When Jesus comes along and says, go out where it's deeper and put down your nets and catch some fish. And Simon says, we've already fished all day long. We worked hard. We didn't catch a thing. Simon wants Jesus to understand that they're already done for the day. They're packed up. The nets are cleaned. The boats are pulled into shore. They're finished. They're going to go home and have a sleep. They're gonna, it's a, they've worked hard all night, and they're going to be back before they know it, and they'll do it all over again. And you know what? It'll be better timing to catch the fish then. Well, remember, this is before they've really had an encounter with Jesus. This is before they've really had a revelation of who Jesus is. They haven't figured everything out yet. Now, if I were to put myself in Simon's shoes, I would probably be saying, who does this guy think he is? This guy is a carpenter. What does he know about fishing? I'm a fisherman. My father was a fisherman. My grandfather was a fisherman. My grandfather's grandfather was a fisherman. Jesus should worry and look after his own hammer and chisels and leave the fishing advice to me. But there's a very subtle shift that happens in the story that changes the trajectory of Simon's life. Simon says these simple words, but if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. Lord, if you say so, I will do it. In church, there's tremendous power in that small, simple phrase. Those words that are so easy, but so difficult to say. And that one act of obedience shifts momentum for Simon, and the gospel of Jesus advances throughout all generations. It doesn't make logical sense, but Simon decides to listen to Jesus anyway. They end up catching so many fish that they can't pull them in and their nets begin to tear. They have to call for help and the other boat comes and they have so many fish that they almost the boats can't stay afloat. When Simon realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught. And then as soon as they landed, the scriptures say they left everything and followed Jesus. You see, the fishermen have just landed the biggest catch of their lives. And they don't rush to market. They don't sell it all. They don't put it into the bank. They don't pay off their expenses. They don't go out for dinner that night. This rough crew of young men leave everything behind and they become Jesus' disciples. And they go on to spread the gospel and to partner and to be a part of the gospel narrative of Jesus. Many Bible teachers point to the significance of Simon and the fishermen leaving their nets and boats behind to follow Jesus as a sign of like, this is the ultimate commitment and they're giving up their family connection to their trade and, and all the investment and things pass from generation to generation and the, the whole symbolism and everything that's going on is this like, I am giving everything over to follow Jesus. And it's a dramatic moment of great surrender. But I'd suggest that it's not the pivotal point in the story. These young men give everything up and follow Jesus because they're so compelled by the sign of the miraculous fish, the miraculous catch. 
It's the miraculous catch that reveals the divinity and glory of Jesus. And it's this encounter with Jesus that compels them to give everything up to follow him. And I would suggest to you the revelation of the miraculous catch is made possible because Simon listens to Jesus and he puts down the nets when it didn't make sense. Put another way, Simon's simple act of obedience is like planting a small kingdom seed which leads to a transforming revelation of Jesus, which leads to the disciples surrendering their life, which leads to them participating in spreading the gospel throughout all generations. And Peter could have said, you know what, Jesus? I'm a fisherman and you're a carpenter. How about you stick to what you do and I'll stick to what I do? We've already fished all night. We've already cleaned up all the nets. It's all finished. The boats are away. We're going to be back tonight. We'll try it all over again then. Let's do it that way, Jesus. Think of what is hanging in the balance with Simon's decision when he says these simple words, Lord, if you say so, I will put down the nets again. This small step of obedience unlocks something deeper in the heavenly realms that was not known in the moment. It was a small seed that came and that grew into something bigger. I'm going to get the band to come, invite the band to come as we uh, wrap up this morning. Simon's small step of simple obedience opens the door for a greater work of the Spirit. Church, how many of us are stuck on the boat arguing with Jesus about why his way doesn't make sense. How we know better when all he's looking for is our simple obedience. And I suggest that simple obedience in the small things is how we put our trust in Jesus. It's how we acknowledge his ways are not our ways. His ways are bigger and better it's about how we let Jesus be God. It's in the small, little, simple things that we can do. Steps of obedience. How easy it is to say, Jesus, I know that's what your word says, but that was like 2,000 years ago and things are different now. My life is complicated and busy and I got things going on and you know what? As soon as I get this done and as soon as I get that done and I'll put some things together and... It's so easy for us to think, you know, I, I'm just going to like not do that right now. I'm going to put that off. I'm going to ignore that. I'm going to push that to the side. There is such great power in yielding to Jesus and saying, if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. Think of the beauty of saying to Jesus, it's not because it makes sense. It's not because I understand it. It's not because it's easy. It's not because of all those things. If for nothing else, it's because you say so. When we yield to the Spirit, when we honor Jesus, when we come into alignment with Him, the only criteria we need is because He said so. Because that is letting Jesus be God. 
That is letting him do his thing. That is acknowledging he is the creator of the universe. And he put all things in order. And he knows all things and he is above all things. And his ways are not my ways. And if for nothing else, I will do it because you say so. The invitation today is what simple steps of obedience can you take? What are some small things, some small subtle shifts? What are some course corrections in your heart, in your spirit, in how you set up your priorities and decisions you make that will have a change that changes the trajectory, that will shift momentum in your heart? And I think there are things that the Lord is whispering and speaking and showing us all the time. And we can decide to cheat on those things or push them aside, or we can decide to put some weight on them. And to align ourselves with the Spirit of God. Because if we can come into alignment in the small whispers, in the small things, the Lord entrusts us with so much more. It starts with the small, subtle shifts. Luke 13, 18, Jesus said, what is the kingdom of God like? How can I illustrate it? It is like a tiny mustard seed that a man planted in a garden and it grows and becomes a tree and the birds make their nests in its branches. The small little seed, that's how the kingdom of God comes. And it grows. I want to just pray for us. I invite you just to kind of reflect in this moment. Maybe bow your heads. Maybe just open your heart, your spirit to the Lord. Open to his presence. Think through that question, that invitation. What's one small course correction? What's one simple step of obedience? that I can take at the beginning of this year that will plant some kingdom seeds in the core of my soul that will grow and flourish and turn into something greater and bigger and beyond me that will multiply God's presence a hundred times over. What's a small step of obedience yielding to Jesus, coming into alignment with him, that we can take a small choice. I'm just going to pause for a moment. Why don't you ask the Spirit of God that question, meditate on that thought. For some here, that might mean actually taking a step of just opening your heart to faith in Jesus. Maybe that's right where it starts today. Maybe it's something you've been thinking about and it's been on your heart. Maybe you've been coming for a while to church. Maybe this is a new thing. You're not really even sure who Jesus is. This is a moment. This is a revelation to just say, Jesus, I open 
my heart to you, to belief in you. Reveal yourself to me. And I think for most of us in this room, there are things we're aware of, but things we push aside. And I invite you to lean into those things. And so Jesus, those of us that are here, that have been busy, that have pushed things aside because it seems like not a good time or it's difficult or we don't understand or whatever it is. I pray, God, that you would encourage us, fill us with faith, give us ears to hear. I pray that we would have the courage to realign our heart, that we would take a small step of obedience, that we would take a small step of coming into alignment with who you are, put our trust in you, And even when it doesn't always make sense, we would say, because you say so, I will do it. And Father, may those things, may those investments, may those kingdom seeds grow and flourish. For those that are wrestling with the weight of debt or in a relationship that is in strife and becomes all-consuming, those that have a loved one that is struggling and they don't know how to help or how to save, I pray, Lord, that you would bring resolve, that you would bring focus. And that, Jesus, this would be the beginning of a new year of us saying, I'll make small steps, small advances, small deposits in the kingdom. I'll sow small seeds. I'll take small steps. Because, Lord, you care about the small things. Pray for that sense of leadership over our lives in your name. Amen.